through the book of Joshua. Let's pray. Lord, you teach it, you wrote it, let your spirit lead, guide, and direct, and just give us wisdom as we not only hear it, but apply it. That's the key, Lord. We want to apply it and live this out and always say and do in your name. Amen. Now, if you haven't been with us last few weeks, Joshua 13 kind of changes a little bit. Joshua chapters 1 through 12 set the scene. It takes about five to seven years. That's where they're going through the battles. That's the battle of Ai, Jericho. Those are the stories we're familiar with. Joshua 13 through the end of the book, it's the division of the land. This takes about 15, 20 more years to do. They have to send spies out to land. They have to allot the land. And it takes a very long time to do. And so what we've been doing here is from Joshua 13 on, instead of reading all the different attributes of that the group of Benjamin go from this river to this sea, from this mountain to that, we've been looking for these little nuggets that are hidden in there. We talked a lot about Caleb. We talked about some little issues that have popped up because there are some issues that pop up with this. We're going to get to a real big issue here in the next couple weeks when we get to Joshua 22. They almost go to war with each other. But here tonight, we're in Joshua chapter 20. It's a short little chapter. It's only nine verses long. Now, we spent last week talking about the Levites. And the Levites, their inheritance was the Lord itself. If you remember correctly, there's the 12 tribes of Israel. But the Levites, one of the 12 tribes, did not get any land. So now it's down to 11. Joseph's two kids, Ephraim and Manasseh, each get a blessing, so that's how you get back to 12. So the actual 12 allotments of land are 10 of the 12 tribes. You take away Levi, you take away Joseph. Joseph gets a double blessing. That's all the way back from Genesis. That's why you get Manasseh and Ephraim. The Levites, their inheritance is serving the Lord. And we spent a lot of time last week. If you weren't with us, I encourage you to listen to that online. Get a copy of that CD. They're blessed to serve God. But... They have 48 cities that are kind of spread out here through the nation of Israel. Six of these cities are something called cities of refuge. And that's what you have going on here in Joshua 20. I have a picture of that, if you don't mind putting that up there. Um, Take a look here at this. This is just a map to kind of show you. Thank you, Dustin. These red circles are where the cities of refuge were at. So what happened is the Levites had land in each of the allotments of the 12 tribes. And then God specifically put these cities of refuge here named in specific locations. And as you can see, they're spread around the nation of Israel. And that was done for a purpose. So we'll leave this up here so you can make reference to that as we go through it. It's a short chapter. Let's just read it. We're going to come down and break this up. Joshua 20, verse 1. The Lord also spoke to Joshua, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, Appoint for yourself cities of refuge, which I spoke to you through Moses. This goes back to uh, Numbers 35, which we'll go to in a little bit. That the slayer who kills a person accidentally or unintentionally may flee there, and they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. And when he flees to one of those cities and stands at the entrance of the gate of the city and declares his case in the hearing of the elders of that city, they shall take him into the city as one of them, give him a place that he may dwell among them. We're going to break this down to more detail, so just so you don't lose. If you would accidentally kill somebody back during this time, there would be this avenger of blood, the family member of the person that you accidentally killed, they would want blood. So you were allowed to flee to one of these cities, and you would be safe in that city. There'd be a quick trial to make sure that, hey, this was an accident, and you would get to go move into that city. Verse 4, you would be accepted in that city. They'd give you a home, a place, an occupation, and you're taken care of. And you can see that they're strategically located throughout Israel there. 
Alrighty, back into this. Um, verse 5. Then if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not deliver the slayer into his hand, because he struck his neighbor unintentionally, but did not hate him beforehand. He shall dwell in that city until he stands before the congregation for judgment, and until the death of the one who is high priest in those days. Then the slayer may return and come to his own city, into his own house, to the city from which he fled. So you have to stay in that city until the high priest dies. Once the high priest dies, you're free. You may leave the city. Verse 7, so they appointed Kadesh in Galilee in the mountains of Naphtal, Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim, Kerjeth Arba, which is Hebron in the mountains of Judah, and on the other side of the Jordan by Jericho. Now we're on the other side of the Jordan there, as you can see on the map. Eastward, they assigned Bezar in the wilderness on the plain from the tribe of Reuben, Romoth and Gilead from the tribe of Gad, and Golan and Bashan from the tribe of Manasseh. These were the cities appointed for all the children of Israel and for the stranger who dwelt among them, that whoever killed a person accidentally might flee there and not die by the hand of the avenger of blood until he stood before the congregation. Got to remember things are a little bit different back then. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. So all of a sudden you're out working, and as you're working, you are using your axe, and as you're using your axe, you're talking to your good buddy Fred, and the axe head flies off, hits Fred, Fred's dead. Don't laugh, Fred's dead. And so you didn't mean to kill Fred, you like Fred. There was no ill intention. Well, back then, Fred's family is going to say, we want blood for this. And they may say, I don't care you were friends with Fred. No one was there. We don't know what happened. We're going to come find you and kill you. So you would book it to one of these cities, get to the city, and say, here's the deal. Here what happened. The avenger of blood would show up and say, we want him. And they would say, hey, let's talk this through. We heard. We heard the case. We hear what you said. There's no ill intention. This man had nothing against Fred. It was an accident. You get to stay at the city of refuge and the high priest dies. Now, there's a little more detail here in a little bit. If you leave the city of refuge, the avenger of blood can kill you. You have to stay there. But this is a safety thing. This is a fairness. This is a trial. This is a law that is set up to keep things safe. And once again, they're strategically located. And please note in verse 9, they're open to anybody. Children of Israel and for the stranger who dwelt among them. That's a pretty big deal. Keep these things in mind. So that's our foundation. Let's build on this now. Go with me now to Exodus 21, please. Exodus 21. I want you to notice something in the Bible. Anytime something is repeated, it's a big deal. You've heard me say this a lot. If one verse is mentioned, it's obviously important. It's God's word. But if that verse is mentioned in another book, and that verse is then mentioned in another book, you should really start to pay attention. A great example of this is the phrase that the just shall live by faith. Okay, that's all over the place in the Bible. You see it in Romans. You see it in Habakkuk. You see it in the New Testament all over. God is really trying to make a point, And so that verse is a really big deal. This idea of the cities of refuge, this is a really big deal. God's going to talk about an exodus, he's going to talk about a numbers, and he's also going to talk about it here in the book of Joshua. So now let's go back and see what's going on. Exodus 21, verse 12. He who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. Death penalty, it's there in the Bible. This is what it is. If you kill somebody, your blood is required. You are dead. Verse 13. However, if he did not lie in wait... But God delivered him into his hand, then I will appoint for you a place where he may flee, city of refuge. Now, New King James reads weird in verse 13. However, he did not lie in wait, but God delivered him into his hand. So this is not premeditated. I didn't hide behind a tree and wait for Fred to come and then jump out with my axe and take Fred out. 
But yet, I just happened to be walking down the street with my axe, and Fred just happened to be there. So verse 13, God delivered him to me, and I could do it. No, that's not what this is saying. New King James reads a little differently. Reading out of the New Living Translation, verse 13 says this, But if it was simply an accident permitted by God, we live in a world where accidents happen. Verse 14, But if a man acts with premeditation against his neighbor to kill him by treachery, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. Even if the guy gets to the tabernacle or the temple and gets to the altar, no, he still has to die. You see this in the history books. There are guys that ran to the altar. Imagine the tabernacle or the temple. You have the altar out front where they would offer the sacrifices. They would go lay hold of it thinking they were safe. God says, yeah, no, you're not safe from that. This is why even if you're at the altar, if you have premeditated murder, we're going to come kill you. So he introduces this concept to us in Exodus 21. I will point for you a place where he may flee, accidental death. Now, so we've laid that foundation, accidental death only. What happens now? Numbers 35. Numbers 35, please. This keeps people from saying, I'm going to kill somebody and then run to a city of refuge and just live there the rest of my life. Can't do that. I'm going to kill somebody and just run to an altar and hang on. You know, that was kind of that medieval law that if you would get to the church, you could be safe. They got that from the Bible. No, the Bible actually says even if you're hanging on the altar, you can be killed. Numbers 35, we get into actual detail here of what's going on. Now, there's a point to this, people. Bear with me. We're going to explain it, and then you know there's got to be a symbolism. You know there's got to be. There's no way that God is going to have us have this in Joshua 20, Numbers 35, and Exodus 21 and not have a purpose or point with this. This is the fun of this. Let's see what we run into. Numbers 35, verse 9. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall appoint cities to be cities of refuge for you, that the manslayer who kills any person accidentally may flee there. That's what we just read in Joshua. They shall be cities of refuge for you from the avenger, that the manslayer may not die till he stands before the congregation in judgment. And of the cities which you give, you shall have six cities of refuge. That's what we just read in Joshua. You shall point three cities on this side of the Jordan, and three cities you shall point in the land of Canaan, which will be cities of refuge. That's exactly what we have up on the map. These six cities shall be for refuge for the children of Israel, for the stranger, and for the sojourner among them, that anyone who kills. Now we need to start really paying attention. Note the point in verse 15. They're open to anybody. I can't stress this to you enough. It's open to anybody there in verse 15. That is a very important point there that anybody can be saved by this. So if you are a foreigner working in the fields in Israel and your axe head flies off and kills Fred, I don't know what we're going to do when we actually have a Fred start coming out here to church. I got to get a new name. Fred's dead again and it is from some dirty Canaanite. Let's just go kill him. Nope. He's safe too. It's open to anybody. Now we have to start deciding what's accidental and what's not. Verse 16. If he strikes him with an iron implement so that he dies, he's a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. You can't go up and say, you know what? When my axe head, which still on the handle through my hands, hit him in the head, it was an accident. Nope, you, you struck him. You're a murderer. Verse 17. If he strikes him with a stone and he dies. You can't say, you know, I just happened to have this great stone in my hand. And when I swung it and hit him, nope, that's premeditated. You're a murderer. Verse 18, or if you hit him with a wooden-handed weapon. So I just happen to have this really great oak stick 
that just happened to hit Fred's head a couple times. Nope, you're a murderer there. That's not an accident. Verse 19, the avenger of blood himself shall put the murderer to death. When he meets him, he shall put him to death. Please note, that's, that's a big deal. So you're Fred's brother. Fred's dead. Be it by stone, metal, or wood, you get to choose. If you want blood, verse 19, you're, you're the one that needs to do it. It's amazing how in this world we live in today, we always want blood, but we never want to be the ones to do it. I've shared this story with you multiple times, and the details don't matter because each situation is unique. But I have people come up to me all the time and say, Pastor, you need to do something about this. Fill in the blank. Okay, what is it? You need to go talk to this person. You need to go do this person. You need to go do that. When I first took over out here 20 years ago, I thought, okay, I probably should do that. I've reached the point now where it's like, obviously it's heavy on your heart. Maybe you need to go talk to them. You're the one praying about it. You're the one fasting about it. Don't use me as the hired hitman. And what you have here going on in verse 19, hey, I want everybody put to death. Okay, verse 19, you do it. It's a little bit different when it's in your hands. It is really easy to sit on the sidelines and scream for blood. But verse 19, when you're the one that needs to go talk to them, all of a sudden you realize, well, wait a second. Maybe, maybe I should pray about this a little bit more. Maybe I should get my scriptures in order before I start making accusations. Maybe I need to make sure I'm fasted up and ready and I'm not just flying off the handle here and I got all my details straight. Verse 20, if he pushes him out of hatred or a lying in wait hurls something at him so that he dies or an enmity he strikes him with his hand so that he dies, the one who struck him shall surely be put to death. So now just some more examples here. I push him down in anger and he dies. I'm in trouble. If I throw something at him, or I strike him with my hands and he dies, he is a murderer. The avenger of blood shall put the murderer to death when he meets him. So if I go out and kill somebody with my axe, with a stone, with wood, I push him, I throw, I strike him, according to the Old Testament law, I am allowed to be put to death when I meet the avenger of blood, that relative on the street, they're allowed to come take me out. Now, to keep this from becoming the Wild West, that anything goes, verse 22. However, if he pushes him suddenly without enmity, or throws anything at him without lying in wait, or uses a stone by which a man could die, throwing it at him without seeing him, so he dies while he was not his enemy, or seeking harm, then the congregation shall judge between the manslayer and the avenger of blood according to these judgments. So me and Fred are now out cleaning stones out of the road. And Fred and I are talking, and I didn't know that Fred moved over to my right. And so I'm picking up stones, and I'm chucking them. And I throw a stone, and it hits Fred right in the temple. I did not mean it. It was a complete accident. Verse 22, Fred and I are walking. Fred shouldn't hang out with me. Fred and I are walking, and we're by this little cliff, and we're enjoying God's creation. And I trip, and I stumble, and two hands go towards Fred, and Fred then tumbles down 150 feet. I go back and I tell his family, Fred fell. How? Well, I I tripped, so you pushed him. I mean, I didn't mean to push him. This is why I have cities of refuge. I need to go to that city of refuge and this can be figured out. And then as I go to the city of refuge, what happens? Verse 24. Then the congregation shall judge between the manslayer and the avenger of blood according to these judgments. So I run to one of these cities and I say, I didn't mean to. Fred and I were just walking, I tripped, I fell, I pushed him, whatever. And so I would assume, and I don't want to make too many assumptions here, I would assume they would stop and say to Fred's relatives, 
Did James have any anger towards him? Well, no. I mean, was there something going on between? No. So do you have any reason in your mind? No. So then why do you want to kill him? Because we're just angry. I mean, let's just be honest, folks. We just want blood. Sometimes when something happens, it really can be no one's fault. And we're still angry and we want somebody to pay. I mean, we live in a society in a world today, if a company does something wrong, you know the next day there's going to be some announcement that somebody had to be fired. We just have to. That's what we have to do as a society. Okay, they paid the price. They messed up. And, you know, and of my five boys, I got at least one of them that if something goes wrong, it is really hard for him to accept that truly was an accident. They truly tripped. They truly bumped into. No, they didn't. They, nope, it really just was an accident. You know, now just speaking out loud, I maybe need to make one of my bedrooms a city of refuge. You know, they run in there so the avenger of blood does not come at you, and we'll figure this out. And if you're here tonight, maybe you're an avenger of blood. I'm just, just be honest. Are you the person that flies off the handle? You fly off the handle in traffic. You fly off the handle waiting in line. You fly off the handle at church. You fly off the handle. Somebody's wrong. Somebody's out to get me. Somebody's, remember the city's a refuge. Sometimes it's accidents. So they go, they have a trial, verse 24. Verse 25, so the congregation shall deliver the manslayer from the hand of the avenger of blood, and the congregation shall return him to the city of refuge where he had fled, and he shall remain there until the death of the high priest who was anointed with holy oil. Now putting together what we just read, he's now safe in the city of refuge, he can't be killed, they give him a place to live, he's safe there. Verse 26, but if the manslayer at any time goes outside the limits of the city of refuge where he fled, and the avenger of blood finds him outside the limits of his city of refuge, and the avenger of blood kills him, kills the manslayer, he should not be guilty of blood. So, I'm in my city of refuge, things are going great. I just want to stretch my legs. So city gates open. I go out and I look to my left, I look to my right, nearly no danger. I just want to be free. I go out, I go for a nice little walk. If I run into the avenger of blood, he has every right at that moment, at that time, to kill me. Even though the trial said I was innocent, even though the trial said it was an accident, he has every right to do that because I willfully chose to leave the city of refuge. Verse 28, because he should have remained in his city of refuge until the death of the high priest. But after the death of the high priest, the manslayer may return to the land of his possessions. And these things shall be a statute of judgment to you throughout your generation and all your dwellings. That is the biblical understanding of what a city of refuge is. Joshua 20, Numbers 35, Exodus 21. And this is how we did. If you remember years ago when we went through the Old Testament sacrifices, we taught them on just what they are. Make sure we understood it. And then we come back and say, okay, Lord, there has to be something more symbolic with this. And that's what we're going to get to now. But before we get into the symbolism of it, anybody have any quick questions, comments on just the facts of the city of refuge and understanding how the system worked, how it was ordained, and that part? Any quick questions, comments about that? Okay, yeah, Mark. Yeah, that's. I, I was gone for a few years, if you remember. Yeah, I had to wait till the high priest died. <laughs> Actually, there's there's Fred Davis, the missionary. Yeah, that's that's. We haven't seen Fred in a while, have we? <laughs> yeah. 
That's great. Like I said, when a friend shows up, I don't know what I'm going to do. So, yeah, John. There, there's nothing in there about defending. There, there isn't anything. Um, so we, could, we can go there and speculate a fisticuffs happening. Um, I do believe this is my opinion, and I always stress again, my opinion. Some of these manslayers, I mean, excuse me, some of these Avengers of Blood, it wouldn't surprise me if they camped outside the city for a while. It wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me if they walked around the city for a while. You, you guys have seen people fueled by bitterness and anger. You know what it can do. So I, I can't answer that question because the Bible never has an example of what would happen with that. But um, he has the right to kill him right then and there. Anybody else have any questions? Yeah, Dad. Yeah, I understand. Good question. If the the relative that's the Avenger dies, does somebody else take his mantle? My my understanding is yes, that could happen. That could happen. Once again, there's not a lot of specifics about that, but the family could hold on to this and say, I was the brother that wants to avenge, and now I've reached age where I can't, so the son, the nephew, whatever. It would not surprise me because in an example, and it's not an exact example, so I don't want to create loose ends, but you see with David and Solomon, you know, David on his deathbed is acting almost like a mafia godfather to Solomon, saying, when I go... Take this guy out, take this guy out, and take this guy out. And you see it being passed along of judgment. So it would not surprise me at all if the avenger of blood is too old, passes away, whatever. Somebody else takes up that mantle. would not surprise me at all. Somebody else I thought had their hand up over here. Yeah, Gavin. Yep, they're not. Once the high priest dies, it is free. If you look at verse 25 of Numbers 35, the congregation shall deliver the manslayer from the hand of the avenger of blood, and the congregation shall return him to the city of refuge which he had fled. He shall remain there until the death of the high priest who was anointed with the holy oil. He's safe until that time. So the death of the high priest is the very symbolic act that says you are now free from this. I, you know, I don't know if there's... I, no, that's a good question. I, I'm going to say there's not necessarily like a protective custody or witness protection program. I don't think it's like that anyway whatsoever. This, this is so ingrained. Like I said, this is Joshua, Numbers, and Exodus. This is so ingrained in this. There's already been a trial. The, the guy's already been... The city knows this. If that avenger of blood would come in, he's going to be guilty and he's going to be put to death. I mean, we already read that in Exodus. We already, I mean, if you just keep reading on in Numbers 35, time permitted us to stop. But just jump ahead to verse 30. I left off in 29. Whoever kills a person, the murderer shall be put to death on the testimony of witnesses. I mean, it, so if the avenger of blood comes in and says, I don't care what the rules say, I'm going to kill this guy, this guy's going to be put to death. He's going to be put to death for that. So, anybody else have anything about this before we move on? All right, now let's get to the symbolism of this. Symbolism of this, please. Uh, can you go with me to Hebrews? We'll go to Hebrews 6, please. 
Key word that we need to start out with is refuge. Okay, so let's think about refuge as you're going to Hebrews 6. These are a city of refuge. And I, and I want you to think, when I say I want you to think like I think, I really don't mean I want you to think like I think. I want you to, when you read through the Bible, I want you to look for these words. And I want you to look for things that say, okay, what's the theme that's developing here? The word refuge is repeated a lot. The idea of high priest is repeated a lot. Okay, so I, I want to go with those words there for a little bit. So as I go through refuge and high priest and I'm looking up verses and reading stuff, Psalm 46.1, you're going to Hebrews 6. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried in the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. So God is our refuge and strength. I mean, the Bible has all these verses to God being a strong tower or a refuge that we run to. I mean, that's what the Bible says, run to. So if I was an Old Testament Jew, and I'm reading through the Psalms, and I'm reading verses about refuge and strength and strong tower, I, I think my mind would immediately go to this. God is my place of safety. God is the place where I go and say, okay, this is what keeps me safe. So now, if we've already established that there's a pretty good Old Testament connection to God being the refuge, now I want to take that idea of the high priest, and now let's apply this now New Testament. Now, Hebrews is a very intelligent book. It really is. If you read through Hebrews, there's a lot of passages you're going to read a couple times and say, okay, Lord, what am I getting here? So when we kind of pick a couple verses out, sometimes we lose a little bit of the context, but I want you to follow along with me here. Hebrews 6, starting verse 17. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly into the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. Basically what verse 17 is saying with a lot of fancy word, God doesn't change. And he wants to promise us that he doesn't change. That by two immutable things, two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation, we who have fled for refuge, to lay the hope, hold of the hope set before us. Now, if I'm a New Testament Jew, and I've received this letter of Hebrews, and I would read verse 18, that God never changes, God doesn't lie, and I have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us, my mind would automatically go to these cities of refuge. So you see this in the Old Testament. And you now see this in the New Testament. God is our refuge. That's where we run. That's where we flee. Now, let's bring in the idea of the high priest. Can you go back just two chapters with me to Hebrews 4? Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4. Start in verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest... Who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Now we know Jesus is our high priest. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. See that? Bringing everything together in verse 16. Jesus is my high priest. I go to him. I find grace. I find help. I find mercy in the time of need. So Jesus is my high priest. So now, let's put this all together. So when you're really reading about cities of refuge, what are we really reading about? First off, number one, we read in verse 15, back in Numbers 35, it's open to anybody. Sojourner, foreigner, Israelite, it's open to anybody. So now taking these biblical points we've had, cities of refuge represent us fleeing to God. He's our safety, he's our protection. Well, 
Who's the avenger of blood? Satan. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. John 10.10. That's what he wants to do. And guess what? He has a case against us, doesn't he? See, here's the thing about the cities of refuge. I killed somebody. Be it accident, I, I still killed him. Death is on my hands. And you here today, you're dead. Sin is killing you. And so Satan has a case against you. So when we read about Satan being up in heaven, we see it in Job, we see it in Revelation, that Satan stands before God the Father making accusations against us. He has a case. I mean, he can look at God the Father and say, you really think James should be in heaven? James, temper, pride, lust, anger, evil thoughts, everything. I mean, you want that. And he's right. That's me. He has a case that I am guilty. If you are here tonight, you're guilty. You are a sinner by choice, by birth, and by heritage. It's just the facts. You have sinned because you were born in a sinful world, the Bible says. David said, in sin, my mother conceived me. You are a sinner because you have inherited sin all the way back to your great, 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 whatever, Adam. And if you still want to get out of that by saying, well, I don't believe the whole sin by birth, I don't believe the whole sin by heritage, then you just have already sinned. You're a sinner by choice. So no matter what, you are a sinner in this world. And the avenger of blood says you are guilty and you should die for that. So what do you do with that information? You run to the city of refuge, which is God's hand of protection. How are you set free? When the high priest dies. Just as Jesus Christ is our high priest. So just as if you were living in the Old Testament. Think about this for a second, guys. Put yourself back in the Old Testament. You've killed Fred by accident, and you're in the city of refuge. What would be the greatest news you could receive? Guess what, guys? New high priest. That'd be the greatest news you could receive. You could walk out of that city set free because one man died. And so we are covered in sin. We have fled to the city of refuge of God. And we are set free now because one man died. And so therefore, since one man died, I am now allowed to be set free. I can walk out now and say to the avenger of blood, you can't touch me because I'm covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. So therefore, when Satan now stands before God the Father and says, James that lying hypocrite, whatever, God the Father just looks at Jesus and Jesus says, yeah, I covered him my blood, my death. It's finished. Right there, it's gone. It's taken care of. Now, what happens if you choose to leave the city? You die, right? I just want you to think about this for the final thought. Go with me to John 15, please. John 15. Verse 1 is a great chapter, and it's got this word repeated again and again and again called abide. Verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him bears much fruit. 
For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you be my disciples. I want to abide in Christ. I want to stay as absolutely close to Jesus Christ as I can. When do we get in trouble? When we start moving away from Jesus. There's a great example in the um, Gospels where it says that Peter followed Jesus at a what? Distance. When you follow Jesus at a distance, you're going to get yourself in trouble. You know, there was a group of people, my mind's blanking right now on who they were. I believe it was the Moabites. I believe it was. That when Israel was coming out of Egypt, they attacked the weak, straggling ones at the end. And God was angry at that. But it's a picture of what happens. When we become weak and we start straggling away from the safety, we're we're in trouble. If I don't abide in the Lord, I'm in trouble. I mean, this is just me talking, so don't think I'm being legalistic here. If I'm not in the Word, if I'm not in prayer, I'm going to get in trouble. (laughs) If I'm not in accountability, if I'm not in fellowship, I'm going to get in trouble. I'm just going to. I want to stay as close to Jesus Christ as I can through prayer, through fasting, through the Word. That is not some type of legalism. That just is safety. You know, if I'm out with my kids and I'm crossing a big street, I'm going to hold on to them because I want them beside me to be safe. I want to abide in Jesus Christ and be as close to Him as I possibly can. So with the city of refuge, that's where I want to be. This is where I'm safe. This is where I'm going to be. Why would I want to leave? Why would I want to leave that city of safety and protection unless I know for sure that the high priest died? The high priest died for us. Our sins are taken care of. I want to stay as close as I can, though, to Jesus Christ because I know that's where the safety and protection is at. So as we're getting ready here to finish up here, that's the city of refuge. It's a fascinating little study. It's one of those, if you just kind of read about it in Joshua 20, you kind of just say, oh, that's fun. Oh, man. The symbolism that's involved with it, the depth of that is absolutely fascinating. And these are the little nuggets that we see. If you just read through Joshua 13 on, it can get really tedious. I know that. With the passing of the land, I want you to look for these little nuggets. Stop and chew on them, and I tell you, I'll definitely bless you. And aren't you thankful the high priest died? I mean, that's what it comes down to. The high priest died. Anybody have any final uh, questions, comments about anything before we close up? Mark. Yeah, they, they couldn't even get him without... Yeah, they needed the blood. He loved kept captive. Yeah, that's a good one. Anybody else have anything here? Marv? Back then, before Jesus, when the high priest died, how did that free them? Do you think the high priest is gone, so they got no more, no more protection? How did, how did that... Just the symbol? I think it's a symbolic act of uh, foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. I mean, I think back then, they probably didn't put the pieces together. That's why Paul calls it the mystery of the gospel. It makes sense to us because we have the New Testament. I mean, this, a great example is the uh, Seder meal. There are so many things that happen in a Seder meal that it just is so blatantly obvious it's Jesus. But if you go and talk to a Jew that's just looking in the Old Testament and say, why do you do this in the Seder, the Passover? Sometimes they'll say, I don't know. Because the mystery of the gospel hasn't been revealed to them. I mean, I look at the Old Testament sacrifices. 
And some of these Old Testament sacrifices, okay, why am I taking the body out of the camp to burn? Well, because Jesus was taken outside the camp and killed. It's a picture of Christ. It's revealed in the New Testament, but back in the Old Testament, they didn't have it fully understood. So then the Old Testament was this, oh, high priest died. Uh, I guess different new commander. Time to set everybody free. But we see it as a picture of Jesus Christ. John. Yeah, he did. He, he if he wanders outside, he dies. Yeah, somebody's going to die. Either the high priest or the guy. Somebody has to die, and the tr- and that has not changed in thousands of years. Somebody is going to die for your sins. Either Jesus Christ is dying, or you're going to spend eternity in hell for your sins. Somebody has to take the punishment of your sins. Why not let Jesus take the punishment for your sins? Anybody else got anything before I close up? All right. Hey, would you guys stand with me? Let's pray. Lord, just thank you for this, uh, the time here tonight. Thank you for that time of worship. Thank you for the time in your word. And I pray, Lord, that we would just understand you are our refuge and our strength, and we run to you. We flee to you. For anybody here tonight that's struggling, there's something really difficult, in the name of Jesus, be with them and help them. And Lord, help us to understand your death is what set us free. We know it, but help us to live it. And I just want to give you VBS one more time. These kids come in these next two days. They would truly understand who you are. And for the different people teaching them, fill them with the Spirit to represent truth and who you are. We thank you and we praise you in your name. Amen. You guys have a good week and God bless.